The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one coming to you on a Thursday afternoon, May the 12th, 2022. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside Senior Team Reporter Charlie Potter. Charlie, as I bring you on here, we got a lot to talk about on the latest edition of the BOL Pod. We're going to get a little bit into some Alabama softball, some Alabama baseball, a couple of big days coming up for Patrick Murphy and Brad Bohannon's clubs, respectively. Nick Saban, Nate Oates at the regions here in the last few days. Some interesting topics emanating from that event in the Birmingham area. We're also going to get into some over-unders for quarterback Bryce Young during the 2022 college football season. All that coming up in just a little bit. But you know what tomorrow is, right, Charlie? Do I have to tell you? Friday the 13th. Oh, man. Are you superstitious, Charlie? No, I just I was trying to rack my brain. I was like, oh, God, did I forget? Well, you, you, you win the prize on that. <laughs> but I was just wondering, are, are you a superstitious type? No, uh, I pretty much just worry about everything. Uh, that's my <laughs> MO. You uh, just keep it real. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't trust anything. Everything's going is out to, to kill you and ruin your day. So <laughs> when you do that, Friday the 13th is a walk in the park. Uh, yeah, just another day that ends with why. Or Charlie, I'm not, you know what, man, superstition in baseball, right? If right. there's two things that go hand in hand, I get so tired of it. It feels like the farther I get removed from my really unimpressive baseball career all those years ago, the less superstitious I got it back in the day, you know, when I played baseball and everybody was don't step on the foul line going in and out. Don't talk about a no hitter that's in progress, things like that. You know, you kind of went along with it. The further I get moved away from all that, though, man, people start talking like that about softball and baseball games. I'm just like, come on now. Really? I mean, we're we're, we're still doing this, you know, but uh, some people don't let it go. Yeah, they're very much into it. I'm not so much, but we certainly hope uh, Thursday the 12th is a great one. In addition to Friday the 13th. Well, every day beyond that. But Alabama softball and baseball, as we talked about at the outset of the podcast, Charlie, uh, Alabama softball helped itself last weekend, winning two of three from a top 25 team, a hot top 25 team 
in Missouri in Tuscaloosa, dropped game one of that series, rallied to win the final two and secure that two seed in the SEC tournament, which, as we record this around noontime on Thursday, just in advance of Alabama's matchup with Missouri, it's tied in Tigers once again down in Gainesville to get Alabama going in SEC tournament play action, single elimination on the softball side of things. So you need to keep that in mind, but it feels like Alabama is in pretty good shape for a top eight national seed, which would secure the ability to host through the regional and super regional rounds. And a team right now that feels like it's searching for answers at a time of the season when you don't really want to be doing that either with its lineup it's batting order and certainly with its pitching staff because of an absence of note, Lexi Kilfoyle not there as much of late to support Montana Fouts in the circle. Meanwhile, Alabama baseball travels to Auburn and man, Charlie, this uh this race for the twelfth seed in the SEC tournament over in Hoover seems to be tightening up too. Yeah, it's never easy. Um but, you know, the baseball team, it's kind of had a bit of a, you know, not so much football, but a, a basketball feel to it. Just it's it's kind of unpredictable. It's been up and down. They've won games. Maybe they shouldn't. They've, they've lost in series. Maybe they, they were favored. But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think that, uh, you know, getting a win um, uh, over LSU most recently, you know, that's, that's significant. I think that, you know, this baseball team is – is capable. Uh, I think they can they can make some noise. I think they're you know, hoping and, and looking to, to get into the postseason. We'll see if, if that happens. But um, you know, it's it's a situation where um, you're going on the road to, to Auburn this weekend. It's, it's a big series. It's going to be tough playing on the road. But you, know, you want to at least you know steal a couple um, you know from these last two series. If if not, just win the one at home. So be interesting to see what happens. But uh, yeah, again, it's, a, it's another team that's just pretty hard to predict going here down the stretch yeah three and nine in their last 12 sec games since sweeping Ole miss last month so has that sort of feel to it that uh just trying to survive at this point and two more sec series to go as you noted a road series at auburn this weekend doesn't get any easier in the regular season finale series with arkansas set to visit Tuscaloosa 10 and 14 Alabama currently sits in SEC play when you think about regional prospects making a regional uh you got to think 13 14 wins is where you would feel most comfortable in that scenario uh and so you're looking at needing probably a 500 finish in SEC play between these final two series in conference action so We'll see how that goes for the Alabama baseball team here the next couple of weekends. Here, more recently, uh, we had some news coming from the Regions Tournament on the PGA Tour Champions, the annual Pro-Am that is highly anticipated. Another one of those mile markers, right, Charlie, when we think about an upcoming college football season, get the Regions there in mid-May or so. Then you start thinking about, well, you get your teams back together late May, early June, with summer enrollees joining the returning roster and summer workouts getting underway. Next thing you know, we're at SEC Media Days in July. But on Wednesday, it was Nick Saban and Nate Oates. Instead of Hall and Oates playing in the Celebrity Pro-Am, you had Saban and Oates. Man, I 
I crack myself up sometimes, Shirley. <laughs> uh, but some interesting comments, in all seriousness, coming from Nick Saban. It, it, it's been it's been pointed out up in the state of Kentucky. It seems like on multiple occasions that the sense is at least that Alabama maybe went outside the lines in securing the services of Louisville transfer Tyler Harrell, the speedster wide receiver. From the Cardinals, uh, Saban was asked about that on Wednesday and thought he had some interesting comments, not only in relation to his response to uh, a tampering allegation, but also from the other side of it and how he feels like uh, there's been some interesting things that have played out with his roster uh, in the wake of uh, maybe the, the final game of the season and how things have gone with some of his guys. Yeah, I mean, he said essentially what you would expect him to say. You know, he came out right on top and said, "We don't tamper with anybody," and he doesn't think anybody, um, you know, tampered with with Tyler Harrell. And so um, he went on to to say that he doesn't think that anybody has uh, really ever tampered with with Alabama's players. It just you know makes you wonder, and that's what a lot of coaches have said. You know, kind of beating around the bush. Uh, to an extent, Scott Satterfield, not really, uh, because this is where this whole thing came from, is his comments to 24-7 Sports and Chris Hummer. But, um, you know, Nick Saban said he's not making any accusations. It just it makes you wonder. And at the end of the day, um, you know, he said he doesn't have any knowledge of uh, anybody that's done that uh, or anybody that's done that to his players. So, um, you know, it, it is a situation where um, – the day that Tyler Harrell entered the transfer portal, our Louisville site at 24-7 Sports, Cardinal Authority, uh, cited they had three sources that expected Harrell to end up in Tuscaloosa, which was interesting. You know, things that make you go, hmm. And, um, you know, that led to, to Satterfield's comments with, with Chris. Uh, you know, and he basically just said, I think it's not only him, it's happened before here and, and things like that. And. In this new NIL era, um, you know, that's going to be a topic of discussion. You've seen, you know, Pat Narduzzi up at um, at Pitt be upset with, with Lincoln Riley and, and what's transpired with Jordan Addison. And even though he hasn't committed to USC yet and he's still, you know, Alabama's still in the mix there, I think that's where people think he's going to end up. And um, it's just kind of the new landscape. And you know, Mike Norvell, that coach at Florida State, you know, said he thinks his players have been tampered with, which led to another question of Nick Saban. And, um, you know, he, he kind of said what a lot of people agree with or think is you can't really control third parties, um, whether indirect or uh, direct. And, you know, when he, he they talked about what you mentioned, when guys leave your program to go someplace else uh, the day after a game, uh, it makes you wonder. So, um, you know, it college football is kind of the wild, wild west right now. I know the NCAA has, you know, tried to, you know, do some things for, for booster led, um, entities and things like that. But, um, you know, for Nick Saban, you know, he refuted the accusations that Alabama's tampered with Tyler Harrell. And, um, you know, it's a situation where that's what you expect him to say. It's kind of just the end of it for now. If anything else pops up, we'll obviously be on top of it. But, you know, he thinks that the guys that they got out of the transfer portal in the spring, um, you know, they'll be able to contribute to the team and the guys that they're going to bring in over the summer, um, you know, they're going to work with them and, and see you know, what they can do. But their philosophy is to not take anybody that's not going to make a positive impact on their team. And I think that's really the MO of this transfer portal. And I, I think at the end of the day, Tyler Harrell's a guy that you know, his speed is something that they can certainly use at the wide receiver position. 
Yeah, you know, and there's also a stipulation that a student athlete can make as it enters the transfer portal in regards to whether or not he or she wants to be contacted by schools. In other words, there are players who don't even want to be contacted because they already know where they are going. As soon as they they enter the portal already with their next destination essentially secured. So between relationships from players, coaches, parents, family, mentors, there have always been back channels and there always will be. And you know what? There should be because you think there are too many sad stories out there right now about too many of these kids entering the portal only to figure out after the fact that they have no place to go. Imagine how many more there would be if some of these guys and gals didn't have their next stop already lined up. Now, look, that's not to say some of these folks don't get bad advice to start with. Right. A lot of these folks should stay around and see if they can maybe work it out at their current location. But if they are going to make that move, you know, it goes back to what I, a wise person once told me. Don't leave a job until you have a job. Right. And you've got too many of these folks jumping in the portal without a place to really go to next. Um, and let me ask you this, too. How often do you think Alabama coaches get contacted by players and or people in their inner circles inquiring about transferring to UA? In other words, who do you think really initiates the contact at a place like Alabama, with a place like Alabama? I I guarantee you 99.9% of the time, if not every time, it's coming from the student-athlete side of things. Now, UA doesn't have to make contact or show interest with these folks. Not this program, not this coach. And also, if Alabama tampered with Tyler Harrell, why don't we hear the same thing about Jermaine Burton? In Georgia, you know, why is it just Tyler Harrell? You know, where is it with Tyler Steen or where is it with Jermaine Burton? Where was it with Jamison Williams? Now, it just seems interesting to me that it's suddenly a guy who was a number two receiver at a middle of the pack ACC program that Alabama just couldn't live without and had to step beyond the lines of what's legal and make this sort of move. I don't know. What do you think, Charlie? Am I, am I, was I clear enough on that? No, I think I think you make a good point, and <laughs> um, you're right. It, it is it is funny that this is the one that that pops up, or at least gets a, a public comment from, and and that might be indicative of the person that said it. Uh, you know, who knows? And and I do know that Scott Satterfield and really a lot of the people at Louisville had kind of raved over Tyler Harrell and, and his progress and development as an yeah. all around receiver. So you never want to see a guy like that. This seems to be. Uh, just to continuing to improve, leave your program. But you're right. I mean, I think I think Alabama has to field multiple calls a day, just in terms of guys in the program, because or that are wanting to join the program. Because you're right, the transfer portal is just it's always full. There are guys that enter that without a plan. Like if if you were going to choose to transfer, you need to have a very very good idea of where you want to go or else you could be left on the inside looking in now or the outside looking in. And I know that, you know, most of these Alabama players have landed on their feet and that's great. And that's usually the case, but we've seen guys wait for a while. Um, 
the, the running back, um, Kyle Edwards. I mean, he almost he waited like a year before landing somewhere. So it yeah. it happens. But yeah, okay, you're telling me that a wide receiver with speed that wants to be you know developed and and make it to the NFL, he's going to choose to enter the transfer portal after spring. And Alabama that needs wide receiver help that just lost a speedy wide receiver that developed and made it to the NFL as a top 12 draft pick. That's not going to be a place he's going to be you know, at the top of his list as soon as he enters the portal. I mean, give me a break. With the Heisman uh, Trophy winning quarterback. Exactly. So I mean, it's maybe work on your situation. You know, put work on putting more guys in the league. Work on improving your situation in general. Um it, no, it you know it makes total sense, and so you know when you look at this thing from the Alabama perspective, if anything, Charlie, I think Alabama may have to start taking more of the same approach it's taken in its grassroots recruiting with high school players, in that they may have to slow their role in how quickly they make the decision to take some guys, because look at wide receiver Jermaine Burton. Tyler Harrell not saying they won't have huge seasons in 2022, but here at the deadline, here comes the Blitnikoff award winner, Jordan Addison, and maybe Alabama can make that work too, Charlie, but it's almost like they've got too many guys that they could bring in if they really wanted to from the transfer portal perspective. I know Saban's trying to balance everything. He still wants the the developmental aspect from the high school player side. He wants to maintain the organic approach with that while cherry picking the portal. But this thing might turn into Alabama being able to go with eight to 10 to 12 of the top 100 players in college football. If it really wanted to go all in on that approach. Yeah, no doubt. Um, And, you know, I, I know people are wondering about the numbers with, a guy like Jordan Addison. And again, right now it looks like USC is still the team to beat, but as Hank South pointed out, he's kind of been all over this. Um, you know, the longer it drags out, the more interesting it gets. He just visited Texas, um, you know, in the last day or so. So if he is a guy that is interested in Alabama, you know, coming off of a, you know, a Blitnikoff award winning season, Alabama is going to take a player like that. They'll figure the rest out. And yeah. so it is a situation where, Alabama's not going to lose very many starters or starting caliber players uh, to the transfer portal unless something's just wrong. It's not a great marriage. Um, but they're going to go out and get the best of the best, like you said, they do in recruiting. And it's a situation where, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see with the guys um, you know, entering the portal at the, the time they do, whether you know, immediately after the season, after the spring, um, you know how that transpires. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a situation where if Alabama wants this guy, it's going to be just like in recruiting. They're going to be tough to beat if, if they seriously want to land them. And, you know, I, I think I think they feel pretty good about what they have at the wide receiver position. But if you can replace John Mechie, Jamison Williams and Slade Bolden with the Bolitnikoff Award winner, Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell, you do that. Like, there's just not a question about it. And we'll see if it happens. But, um, yeah, I think for now, the, the May 1st deadline is a good thing because you're not having these guys jumping in in the summer and being eligible in the fall. But um, it does just kind of it, it, it only extends the recruiting calendar even more and, and makes that even more of a 365 day job.
Yeah, and June's already about to be crazy, man, because you're going to have your players coming back. You're going to have your summer enrollees joining that mix. You're going to have official visits in the month of June for Alabama football. You're going to have camps mm-hmm. in the month of June for Alabama football. So, you know, June has suddenly turned into one of the more busier months on the college football calendar. Meanwhile, Nate Oates also at the Regions event, and he was asked about transfer portal and his roster in general as it continues to take shape for the 2022-2023 season. Jared Lucas, most recently, the Oregon State transfer, decides on Nevada. I thought Nate had some poignant comments in relation to maybe the difficulty he's encountering with some of these transfer targets because, as we talked about here on the podcast, as much as we get caught up in transfer portal season, it makes us forget maybe a little bit that Alabama still has a top three recruiting class of high school players and a junior college player uh, joining this mix this summer. And a couple of those guys play the same position or can anyway, as some of the transfer targets that Alabama is seeking to uh, bring into the mix. Yeah. I know people are kind of freaking out about the transfer portal, but yeah, they forget what Alabama is bringing in from a, a talent standpoint with, like you said, the number three, overall class uh you know the final uh rankings came out yesterday and all four of Alabama's prep signees are top 100 recruits and that's pretty damn good and then you add in a guy like Nick Pringle from the Juco ranks who can help out you add in Mark Sears the the guard from Ohio uh, who was one of the top players in the transfer portal at the time um and then you you add that into what Alabama returns with um, you know, Betty Ako with Noah Gurley, with Javon Quinterly eventually, Namari Burnett coming off the injury, Darius Miles. That's a solid roster. And that's a point that Nate Oates made is, um, you know, they have a pretty good roster. Uh, they're going to have 10 healthy scholarship players to likely start the season. So they want to add at least one more. But um, the the talent on the roster, the depth, the the versatility of some guys to play multiple spots, like you alluded to, um, you know, Nate Oates had the interesting comment that you know a couple guys, a couple guys that they've gone after uh, have gotten a little scared with their current roster, so they need guys that are willing to fight for minutes. And um, you know, he pointed out, I asked him you know, what he was looking for positionally in terms of the the last two spots, and you know, he said if they get a big wing that can make shots, that's ideal. And then they'd like to add shooting at, at either spot and then maybe just the best available. So um, he said he doesn't feel like they need any more guards or, or smaller guards in general, uh, but bigger wings. And so it's a situation where um, they're not going to play all 13 guys, but you're already going to be down one for at least some of the season with uh, Quinterly being out. But they'd like to le- uh, at least add one more, if not both, Um of these transfers to the roster. We'll see, you know, what happens. You know, they're still you know tied to several guys out there, but you know, we've seen um you know, we've seen guys like Jalen Bridges, uh Jared Lucas most re- uh, recently choose to go elsewhere, and that might be a situation where they're not looking to compete for playing time. They're looking for opportunities to play right away, and that makes sense in this day and age. That's why they're leaving at these schools. But uh yeah, some interesting comments from Nate, but I will say you go into it expecting news from Nate. Nate likes to talk. I appreciate that about him as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made sure to get to, to Greystone early and, and get a spot to 
to set up and kind of pre-ride on that because I knew he would have some news and and there was plenty to talk about from a roster standpoint and you know even though he can't talk about specific players he he certainly delivered certainly delivered on that front. Yeah, if you're Jared Lucas and you're looking at Nevada and Alabama as basically your final two and you're wanting to be sort of an alpha in a rotation, then yeah, Nevada makes a lot of sense. They've had a lot of turnover under head coach Steve Alford. Uh, there are even some NIL opportunities that might be more available to him as more of a marquee player at Nevada than, say, just a rotational option at Alabama. So it still makes a lot of sense for him to go that route. I thought it was interesting on the roundtable with us there at BamaOnline.com here in the last 24-hour site publisher Tim Watts throwing Mike Jones of Davidson. Ooh. Mike Jones <laughs> Mike Jones of Davidson as a veteran guard that uh, is in the mix still for Alabama, along with Northwestern and Stanford. Alabama fans probably remember Mike because he torched the tide back in December. Man, that game really seemed to start the just up and down affair, didn't it, for the rest of the season? That loss to Davidson, that was a late replacement opponent. kind of shook it seemed like Alabama but Mike Jones still in that mix he had 21 in that win over Alabama uh, three of three from three eight of 11 from the field uh, according to Tim down to Bama Northwestern Stanford and Tim according to his sources seems to think it'll come down to the Tide and the Cardinals so still some stuff out there with Alabama Hoops. Hey, I want to get back into some college football talk with you, Charlie, on this Thursday as we get into some over-unders for Bryce Young in the 2022 season. Never too early for that, right? Now, here's how I formulated it. I just narrowed it down to two areas. We're just going to do passing yards for the 12-game regular season, the 12 scheduled games that we know of, and passing touchdowns. Just those two. That's all we're going to do. So with that, And really basing this, Charlie, on Bryce's yards per game average. He averaged right around 325 passing yards per game in 2021. That brings you out to about, well, 3,900 passing yards if you do it over 12 games. And so the over, under, the total that I'm going to give you for passing yards in 12 regular season games this season – 3899.5. In other words, is he going to pass for 3,900 yards by the end of the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa come late November? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question, Travis, because it involves math, and that always makes things <laughs> complicated. But um, and that also means I could be wrong on my numbers, <laughs> of course, as we know. No, I, I I tried to double check, but that just might be both of us getting wrong. Uh, but um, you know, I, I think he's certainly capable of it. I think Bryce was a guy. I mean, he was the offense last year. I know Brian Robinson had a, a big season coming back for his uh, fifth year. But, you know, the, the, the offense was Bryce Young. That's why he won the Heisman Trophy. You know, he really, of the quarterbacks during the Nick Saban era, he really put the team on his back and had to do the most to, to get them to where they needed to go. And, um, you know, I, I think he's certainly capable of that, especially if these your wide receivers come along, especially if the offensive line, um, you know, improves and can, you know, they can, they can find some, um, you know, capable tackles on the edge, but 
you're just looking at it. He didn't have just a ton of huge games until you started getting to the second half of the season. And, uh, you know, that, that 559 in Arkansas is, is scary just in terms of what we're talking about right now. Um, you know, that's hard to duplicate, even though I think there's going to be opportunities for that. And then you have to also factor in that they're, they're a little better at the running back position. At least they're going to have more depth and, and maybe take a little bit of that pressure off of Bryce to, to make so many plays uh, in the passing game. So, you know, guys like Jameer Gibbs and Trey Sanders and Jace McClellan, and Roydell Williams, they can, you know, they can shoulder some more of the load. And uh, that's going to, in turn, take away some of the yardage from the quarterback. I, I think he can get close. Right now I'd go under, um, you know, just because it is a situation where, um, you're breaking in a bunch of new receivers. Uh, you're going to have a new offensive line and, um, you know, that, that can be difficult, but it also, it says a little bit more about the rest of Alabama's roster that they can lean on the running game a little bit more. So for me right now, I'd go under, I don't feel just great about it. I'll be completely honest, but that's, that's where I stand. Yeah. It's a tough one because one of the things that I do is I take Florida right out of the schedule and I put Vanderbilt into the schedule from the East. And I think, well, it's Vanderbilt. He, he shouldn't have to have a big game in terms of passing yards for Alabama to get done what it needs to do against the Commodores. But, you know, even in that win at Florida last season, he only, I say only, he only threw for 240 in that game. So I can still see him throwing for 240 against Vanderbilt in a couple of three quarters of work. So, you know, that kind of throws me off a little bit. Uh, that being said, I, I, I still don't anticipate another 559 game from him, as you outlined against Arkansas, which was just totally obscene. He averaged 14 yards per attempt in that game against Arkansas. That's just a, a crazy number. I also look at recent history for Alabama quarterbacks. Go to Tua. Go to Mack. Um, you know, what they averaged per game. And they were in that 315 to three. I think Mac was over 340 a game in 2020. And that was with Najee Harris at running back. So Najee was so good catching it too, though. Uh, it's a tough one for me. I, I tend to lean to the conservative side when we do these. So I'm with you. And I also need to know some things in terms of how this wide receiver rotation is going to exactly look. Also, pass protection. One of the more amazing aspects of Bryce Young's first season as a starter was that he was sacked really as much as any quarterback in the SEC last year. Alabama ranked 13th in the SEC in sacks allowed, and Alabama still led the SEC in third down conversion. So if he was sacked as much as any quarterback, that tells you third along, Alabama was in more than just a little bit, and he was still able to convert those. So going back to your comments about how much he carried that offense a year ago, no doubt about it. Uh, all of that in the bank, I'm going to go I'm going to go just a little bit under 3,900 or 3,899 and a half. So I think he's going to be short of 3,900 through 12 games. What about 36 and a half touchdown passes? Because that was – that number was come to based on basically an average of touchdown passes per game times 12. Uh, do you think he goes over or under there? I think he can go a little over. You look at what he was able to do in the regular season last year. Uh, he had what seven touchdowns in the postseason, So he had 47 total. That's, that's 40 
in 12 games. Um, he had three games with, with five passing touchdowns, and that could certainly happen again with you know some of the opponents on the schedule from a non-conference uh, standpoint. But uh, even if you just shave those down by one, he doesn't have any five touchdown games. That's still 37 touchdowns. So I'll go over. I think I'll, I'll go that way because of, you know, a guy like Tyler Harrell and his downfield ability. Um, you know, Bryce likes to throw the ball to Jermaine Burton. I think he can, um, you know, make some explosive plays. That's something that Nick Saban talked about during the spring. And then, you know, you just talked about Najee Harris and how he was a factor in the passing game. I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be that for Alabama. Um, I think that's one of the, the biggest draws that uh, he brings to the team is his ability as a receiver. So I, I don't think that the Bryce is going to stop chucking touchdowns. Um, and I think that he can still do that at a high clip. Um, but I, I think it'll be a little bit less than, than 40. But setting the number at 36 and a half, I think he can get to 37 or 38. Yeah, I'm going to go over with that, too. Um, I, I think that... Uh... You know, he, he's still going to have enough weapons, uh, as you outlined, between uh, not only wide receiver, but, you know, perhaps what Gibbs is going to give them and what Jason McClellan and the other backs can give them, too, uh, as receivers. You know, Cameron Latou, uh, you look at his touchdown catches a year ago. I think he had eight, mm-hmm. um, had a big season as far as finding the end zone, including one against Georgia in the national championship game in which he had his first 100 yard performance uh, at Alabama. So you expect Latou to still be capable there. Um, you know, and so you thought Jalil Billingsley was going to give you more there last year and it didn't really happen, but Latou stepped up. So I'll go over the 36 and a half there. So I think we're in agreement, Charlie, it makes for a bad podcast, but I guess it's just <laughs> kind of the way it is that, we both were going to go a little bit short of the 38, 99 and a half in the 12 games, uh, but we'll go over the touchdowns. Kind of interesting to think that way, but that's the way it goes. And again, there are factors to consider how this wide receiver situation is going to play out. Pass protection uh, with the two new offensive tackles, you know, run game. Uh, they, they might be a, a little bit more oriented towards the ground we always say that and then they come out in three wide receiver sets and gun it all around what i what i think is they're not playing it on backing off of bryce in the passing game much when you see him as active in the portal as you do when you see him acquire jermaine burton when you see them acquire tyler harrell when they go and get tyler steen as an offensive tackle um you know those things sort of point to uh, more of the same in terms of explosive plays and the potential for those with Bryce Young at the quarterback position. And, you know, there are some things to consider, too, um, that we're going to have for you right there at BamaOnline.com. Charlie recently checked in with a couple of the incoming freshmen, Elijah Pritchett. We talk about pass protection. I thought some of uh, Pritchett's comments were fascinating in terms of the physical growth he's undergone here in the last five or six months. You disclose that for us at BamaOnline.com. And then more recently, Earl Little Jr., the defensive back from South Florida, comes from a pipeline down there that Alabama very familiar with, especially when it comes to defensive play and defensive back play. So um, came away with some good stuff in those, Charlie. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, you try to because you're not going to hear from these kids again until at least their sophomore years because uh, freshmen don't speak to the media at Alabama. Unless, you know, we go back to the in-person media days for um, 
for the bowl games, but we'll see if, if that comes back. Uh, I, I respect it would, but no, I mean, <laughs> you try to get these guys before they get on campus and just see, you know, what their focus has been in the last few months since, you know, signing and everything like that. And it's always interesting. A lot of these guys, you know, Alabama gives them advice, but they have their own ways of doing things in terms of training and, and getting ready. And, um, you know, it sounds like both of these guys have been on top of that. I know, uh, Earl Little has worked out with uh, Minka recently, and I, a lot of these guys have worked out with you know, former Alabama players. Um, Shaz Preston's worked out with Devontae Smith. You see some current players working with former players. That, that's always good to see. But um, you know, I think both these guys are coming in confident. I, I made sure to kind of talk to guys that are coming in at, at positions with competitions. And Elijah Pritchett, you know, everybody talks about Tyler Steen, but. You know, he's coming in as an offensive tackle, and while it, it might be a long shot for him at this point, I, I think he's worth mentioning because, like you said, he's up to, to 325 is what he told me. Uh, he's a big frame. He's, he's kind of a little bit more of a raw player, but I think he has the ability. He's he's certainly not lacking confidence in terms of uh, you know his ability to come in and to, to compete right away for a spot. So. Yeah, I mean, hope to get a couple more of these guys on the phone. I know um, you see some some current players out training. I'm going to be doing some things on that the next couple of weeks. But um, but yeah, it's always good to kind of see these guys and, and hear from them before they get into that media training and then see how it changes down the line. Get rained in, you know, <laughs> get rained in. But no, I mean, Pritchett's fascinating because I thought watching him even back in December, watching some of his senior clips – this was a guy who was sub 300 pounds and was still playing with a good bit of power. So you consider what he might be able to do now at 320 or so. Now, obviously, technique, uh, pass protection, and you know where he's at in terms of that development is is going to prove critical to exactly when he makes an impact for Alabama. I think that's more the question with Elijah Pritchett. It's it's not if it's it's more when. And this roster continues to take shape. Miles Kitzelman. Junior college tight end uh, joins the mix for 2022. That's an area Alabama uh, needed some help. You know, I'm working on a tight end piece for BamaOnline.com from really post spring. And boy, when you think about the options from a scholarship perspective in March and April, you really had a couple of three guys. If you went ahead and had Kendall Randolph working at the offensive tackle position, like he did, so. Uh, there, there's still some things to sort out there with Kendall and exactly what his role is going to be for the upcoming season. But you know, Kitzelman looks like a guy that can can jump in and add some quality depth there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't know if he's going to come in and, and, and break Cameron Two's record for receiving touchdowns. But to add a guy that's a willing blocker, I think is big. Um, you know, Latou is obviously going to be the number one tight end. I think they feel really good about what Robbie Utes brings to the table. But yeah, I tried to outline it a little bit and just a, a story I did last weekend. Um, you, you're looking at a situation, say Kendall Randolph is in the, the equation of an offensive tackle and you're near the goal line or in a short yarded situation. You can have Latou at tight end. You can bring in a guy like Kitzelman as an extra blocker and then you can still have Rob Utes on the field as a fullback. I think that would be ideal for Alabama uh, in those situations. And uh, I think Kitzelman can can certainly give you something from a receiving standpoint. But you know, just watching some of the clips uh, of him uh, up at community college, I think he's a guy that certainly adds some beef from a blocking standpoint. I think that's what Alabama needed 
And, um, you know, I think some of the young guys coming in, especially Amari and I black is interesting from that receiver standpoint. And if they can get, you know, three or four of these guys contributing, and I know they'll likely all play on special teams, but contributing offensively, I think that's a win for Alabama and it'll help them down the line. Yeah. They were exclusively 11 personnel in the spring game because really they had to be, Yeah, you know, with Randolph at tackle, you had. Latou working with the Crimson first team offense and you had Oots working with the white second team offense. And so they had to go with a back and a tight end and three wide receivers, pretty much the whole scrimmage, because that's where they were at from a, a numbers perspective. And, you know, Kitzelman, he, I think he shows you that on his tape anyway, he can play in line, he can play off the ball and he comes from an offensive sort of philosophy and scheme that matches up well in terms of what it asks of its tight ends there at Hutch in relation to what he's going to be asked to do at Alabama. So a lot of great stuff still coming from Charlie. Uh, Boy, whether it's news, whether it's features, Charlie's got you caught up. I'm going to have some continuing position thoughts as well. I'm going to look at some, we're both doing some opponent stuff right now too. It's Auburn week, I guess with Charlie uh, early look at the Auburn Tigers for the upcoming season. We'll have our way too early predictions for the 2022 Iron Bowl coming up here, I guess, Charlie, on the website in the very near future. Yeah, that'll be up uh, tomorrow, uh, all things considering. But yeah, it's I, I think I've said it before. Um, I, it's a good time to do this one because you got to got to fill the spots like you got to have content <laughs> up. But it, it kind of saves you a little bit of time during the season, but yep. you've already done a little bit of your homework. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, good study habits, man. You got to have them. That's right. That's right. It's kind of like summer school, you know, in a way. <laughs> Just instead of remedial, we're we're trying to get ahead. That's that's the way we like to do it there at BamaOnline.com. Always appreciate it, Charlie. And uh, no worries for, for Friday the 13th. That's good to know. Yeah. Just worry about everything else. I don't that always help. <laughs> All right, for Charlie Potter, Travis Rowe, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, we would certainly appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Wherever you consume pods, you're going to find the Bama Online Podcast. And if you'd leave us a rating, five stars preferably, but a rating and a review, we would certainly appreciate that as well. For Charlie Travis, thanks again. Have a great weekend. And until next time, so long, everybody. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 